Today's scripture is taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the bread and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men and women. Just people. Welcome again to Weston Park Baptist Church as we carry on in this season of May, the season of Easter. Uh, here in Toronto, flowers are coming out. The trees are budding, everything is going green, so it's a lovely time here in the city at this point. Trust it is where you are as well. Over the last few weeks, we've been considering uh, new beginnings and the question of really faith or uh, belief or unbelief, faith or unfaith. And so we considered two stories of the story of Jairus and his daughter who was on the point of death, and then also the woman with the hemorrhage who comes up and touches Jesus. Both of these are stories of faith, new beginnings for them. And then last week we looked at the story of Jesus returning to Nazareth, his hometown, where he is not met with faith. Indeed, he's met with resistance with the, the end that he was not able to perform any miracles there or um, he chose not to. There wasn't the faith to uh, allow that to happen for Christ. So two stories of faith, one story of unbelief. So the tension between these two, and, and I think we, you know, we all live with this tension at some degree, the openness of faith, open our hands, and then the resistance where we close, run into hard times perhaps, and we start closing up, that's the resistance, uh, a lack of faith. And so that, that tension's going on in our, in our stories. 
So as we leave that story, we are going to skip a couple of units just because of time. And the story that follows Nazareth and Jesus is Jesus sending out the 12. So this is the first mission tour, uh, verses 6 through 13, where Jesus sends the 12 out in pairs out through Galilee, and they, they have a uh, powerful time of ministry of both teaching and also healing. Both are emphasized. So they also then become teachers at that point. Jesus has mentored them. They go out. Indeed, they're called, uh, or we'll see that they are referenced here as apostles. So there's this success following the, re, the rejection at Nazareth. So there's that story. And then there's another story which kind of breaks in, a, a little bit of an aside, and that's the tragic story of Herod and his banquet where John the Baptist is beheaded, and that is the end of his life. Uh, it's a story of opulence, of pride, of power. It's, it's a story of the worldly leaders and all of their uh, you know, success and all the trappings of power, their palaces and so on, money. But it, it contrasts that kind of opulence with the story that we're now going to consider, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So two feeding stories. One is by Herod and the second is by Jesus. So these two stories are contrasted in their own way. So that story uh, brings us forward to where we are at in our unit. And we pick it up at Mark 6, verse 30. And I'll just read that for us. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So the first reference to the 12 here as apostles, in fact, the only one in the Gospel of Mark. So now the apostles gathered around. So they've come back from the 12, and these two other stories have kind of gone on in between, John with Herod. And now we, we pick up on the story that we have looked at. So the 12 have gone out. They return and they tell Jesus all they had done and taught. So they have been being engaged in ministry. Jesus, the sender, has sent out the send, sent ones and now they return. So that's where the story picks up. And Jesus talking to them uh, as the unit moves on, verses 31 through 34 we're told that Jesus decides that the group has been working very hard and now they need a break. He's feeling that they need a break. So we pick it up in verse 31. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. That verb is important, and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. So that's where the, the, the text starts up. So Jesus says, we're going to go away to a deserted place. They're going to get into the boat, again in the boat on the Lake of Galilee, and they're going to go down the shore farther from Capernaum, hopefully to get a place where there's some rest. So we're going to rest a while. We've been thinking on another point, walking the line, hearing the imperatives of Jesus, and one of them that's considered in the book is this statement in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. That's an imperative. One of the first ones we looked at. 
Come to me and be refreshed, it could be translated. Hebrews 4 talks about a Sabbath rest still remains for us. So Jesus sees them. They've been busy in ministry. And he's saying, you know what, we we need a time to break. We need a time for ourselves, a retreat, a spiritual retreat, if you like. So it presents this need for balance, the rhythm of work and rest. We work six days and then the Sabbath is to be a day of rest. And so that's the way it is for all of us. We all need balance. We all need refreshment. We all need a measure of rest. We are not to become workaholics, even though our culture often lauds those who are workaholics and are working all the time and make a ton of money and everybody says, look at how hard they work. Meanwhile, they're workaholics. There's never any rest and they burn out. So Jesus' approach is not that. He takes them aside, wants to take them aside. Okay, we're going to have a spiritual break. So we can, we can all think about that in our own rhythm of life. Just how are we in terms of work and rest? That's where this piece begins. Text carries on. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So just think of it. Jesus and his disciples go out in the, in the water, probably out, I don't know, four or 500 yards, and then they're, they're going to go down the shore to get to a point. But obviously from the shore they can see them. They can still be seen. They're not out a couple of miles. They're, they're out there and they can be seen. So people are tracking their movement, if you like, and then are ready for them when they come back in. The small lake. So verse 34 is important. As he went ashore, Jesus, the disciples, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So when they come back to the shore, they're coming in. It's getting closer. People, the disciples can see what's going on. And Jesus' response is one of compassion. And it's a word that Mark likes to use four or five times in his gospel, splagnizomai, which compassion, but it's this feeling in his gut. It's, it's an emotional feeling that he has. He has compassion. It's not just an intellectual idea. He feels something. There's pathos with these people, and he he wants to serve them. So he's not irritated. He's not saying, you know, rats, can't we ever get away from everybody? His response is, wow, these people are really wanting to meet with us. And it's a compassionate response. And indeed, the text tells us he sees them as sheep with how to shepherd. He sees them as lost, so they need his attention. They need the disciples' attention. He's not irritated. I don't know if all the disciples would have felt the same way. Did they all feel that way? They may have felt like, wow, can't we? We want a break. We, We don't want to dive back into these hundreds and hundreds of people who may have been there. But Jesus' response is one of Empathy, compassion, he sees them as sheep with how to shepherd. Note, he does not say, I note that they are physically hungry and I want to feed them. It has nothing to do with that, even though the story will finally go there. It's they are like sheep with how to shepherd, they are lost. 
And so as we hear the writer Mark muse about these realities, we can think of our own experience. I, I, I remember the line from Dante, I woke up in the middle of the wood and it was dark and there was no clear way before me. It's a powerful statement. I woke up, it was dark, and there was no clear way to go. He was lost. And of course, we, we can feel that way. We can feel lost. You can be here listening to this service, this message on a Sunday or sometime in the week, and you can be feeling lost. The, your way is not clear. Our ways are not always clear. And so can we have faith and confidence in God in those times or do we feel stuck, unable to move? We actually physically cannot make anything happen. We can't choose. We're just paralyzed, feel lost. So Jesus is looking at the crowd and and he's saying to himself, I don't know if he's saying this out loud, but hey, these people actually really need help. Some of them are lost. In that time, you know, under the, the weight of the Roman Empire and the heavy taxation, the people can feel like they have no real opportunities, no new beginnings. They are stuck. They are lost. And so Jesus' response, verse 34, is to shepherd them, and that means here to teach them. That's how it's said, verse 34. Note. And he began to teach them many things. So he's going to feed them shortly with physical food, but he begins by feeding them with spiritual food, with soul food. It's interesting that all four Gospels tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's an important story. And John chapter 6 develops it the most where Jesus is called the bread of life. He calls himself, I am the bread of life. I will give you spiritual nutrition for your interior person so that you can be healthy and grow up well, become all that God wants for you. I can give you soul food. And so Jesus' movement here is to teach them, to feed them. Interesting, in the Old Testament, manna, when the people in the desert are fed and they are given manna by God, in later years, as the writers reflect on that, manna is interpreted as the Torah. We need to feed on the Torah, even as God gave you manna in the desert. And so for us, we need to feed on Jesus' word, and we need to be in the text, in the scriptures. So we're doing this series on the Gospel of Mark. You know, it's not just, you know, because I chose to do Mark, and that's what we're doing. The idea is that we read and we receive this gospel, one of the four gospels, the first gospel given. It's a very important gospel. The others at least Matthew and Luke, are built on this. So there's nutrition for us, spiritual nutrition in this gospel as we read and receive it. Let it pour over you. So there is this sacramental dimension to the word of God. Read it and let it speak into your life. You will benefit from it. Don't just keep reading everything else and never read the word of God. As Christians, that doesn't make sense. This word is an important word. Before we leave this first unit, we notice the flexibility of Jesus. He's going to be on retreat with his disciples. 
The crowd appears. His response is to have compassion. So he changes his plans midstream and says, you know what? We'll save the retreat for now. We're going to minister to these people. And so as Jesus has flexibility in his movement, so we need to have flexibility. Because God can speak a new word to us in the midst of our direction, in the midst of our lives, individually, collectively, which we need to respond to. What is God's ongoing word to us? To be flexible to receive it. So that's the first story. That's, that's the setting. Now we carry on. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, that is the crowd, send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's six months wages of a person. And he said to them, how many loaves have you got? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So we have this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. That's where we start. And it's interesting, when the disciples start this, they come to him, right? He's been teaching for a number of hours, obviously. And they initiate this discussion, and they, they come to him all with good, reasonable ideas. It's getting late, disperse the crowd, so that they can go find food and lodging before it's dark. It ends with verse 36, send them away. So if we are overhearing this conversation, we would think, well, you know what, the disciples have got good ideas here. Maybe Jesus needs to hear them on this. Let's be proactive and send the people away. But that's not how Jesus responds. It may be the logical thing to do in this point, but it's not what Jesus decides to do. And his response is, well, you give them something to eat, which is great. You give them something to eat. And the emphasis here is on you, plural. He's, he's emphasizing this. Verse 37, you give them something to eat. In the Greek, it's not always there. Normally it's not. Here it's put in. You guys. You give them something to eat. That is, you take responsibility for them. You treat them with hospitality because they are our guests. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, of course, they don't know what to do with that. And again, logically they respond, well, how are we actually supposed to do that? Maybe they're getting a bit uptight. How are we going to do it? In fact, where do we go to even buy this food? We'd have to go into nearby towns, walk several miles, get it. It would cost us six months' wages to do it. And then bring it back. I mean, how are we going to pull that off? That's what they're saying. Jesus responds, oh, well, what, what do we have? What, what do you have? Go and search it out. Let's see what we've got to work with. Of course, you remember the story. They go and they come back with saying, we have five loaves, five little loaves, bread. That's what they would carry, individuals. And two fish. And the fish most likely are small fish, coming out of the lake, obviously, and they weren't much bigger than sardines. That's what they were fishing. Five loaves, two fish. That's what we have. There's a gospel song that goes, little is much when God is in it. I'll refer to it later. 
But that's what Jesus is saying here, really, in Mark. That with God, little is much when God is in it. So we might only have five loaves, we might only have two fish, but in faith we can do something with this, even though it's not all that logical. So Jesus' response, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were filled. So here is the actual miracle story. Jesus has the disciples organize the people into smaller groups, groups of 100, groups of 50. And then we're told that he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives the bread. There are four verbs that are used. And here we can hear overtones of the Eucharist or the Lord's table because of the same same words, same language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus takes, Jesus blesses, Jesus breaks, and Jesus gives the bread. That's what he was doing. And he praises God. He does this all in a spirit of prayer. He's lifted up his eyes. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, and gives. The Jewish people, they would give a blessing before they had any meal. Here Jesus is giving a blessing for this meal. So there is this sacramental overtone to the story. And as we know, the people eat and are satisfied. They are satisfied. Jesus is more than enough to satisfy their needs with this simple meal. It contrasts with the craziness of Herod's banquet, where finally the daughter of his wife asks for the head of John the Baptist, and even though he doesn't want to do it, it's done. All that silliness and craziness contrasted with this simple meal of bread, fish, and they are all satisfied. So in this important story, as we've seen, we're reminded of Jesus and his nutrition and what he offers us and how it can speak into our lives for new beginnings. If we will eat, if we will feed on Christ, that he is our soul food, then he will continue to make our lives more and more authentic. We'll become the best we can be. So that is the story that we have. It's, it's kind of based on an earlier story. Second Kings 4 talks about Elijah and his uh, ministry, Elisha, feeding the people during famine days, God working through him. Here, Jesus feeds the five, and then another story in Mark later, he will feed the four. So these are important themes. All right, where do we go with all that? Well, one, we see that Christ, Jesus, is the good shepherd. He's the true shepherd, and he is the true king. Herod is not the true king, even though he takes the life of John the Baptist. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the good shepherd. King. He is the good shepherd, and his response is one of mercy and compassion, looking at us as sheep without a shepherd. He is there for us, and he feeds us, and he works into our lives, no matter what's going on, the ups and downs, different circumstances. Jesus is our good shepherd, the wonderful counselor. He is there for us. So we're invited to keep walking with Jesus and keep saying yes to him as our true king and our true shepherd. 
Secondly, we are not to give in to hopeless pessimism. We are not to just shrug our shoulders and say that nothing can change, that God can do nothing. No, the invitation always is to have faith and trust in God who travels with us. Not to give up. To live under the horizon of hope. That's the invitation, not the cloud bank of our own, you know, suffering and discouragement, but to lift up our eyes to hope, the hope that God has for us in Jesus, his work for us. So for you and your reality right now, you may, you may be stuck as a family. You may be stuck. For, something tough is going on, and you don't know what the, what the way out is. You are like, as Dante says, stuck in a wood and not, not a clear way before you. But if we keep looking to Jesus, the way will clear up. The fog will dispel eventually. Diving out on the West Coast, you know, I know up in God's pocket where I was, often it would be foggy, and it would be completely foggy, and the fog often would not dispel till three or four in the afternoon. It took all that time for the fog to burn up, burn off, all day, but eventually, late afternoon, It starts clearing up. We might like it to clear up right in the morning, but that we have to keep in our faith in God, trusting in him. Living under the horizon of hope, so this story reminds us. And then as we close, we we remember, we said before, that the world's model is one of scarcity, that there's not enough. So we just have to hunker down and protect ourselves. Don't worry about everybody else. As long as we're okay here in Canada, forget everybody else. That's the, you know, we might go that way. That might be our preference, scarcity. But the model of Scripture in Jesus is always one of abundance. There is enough for all. There is more than enough. And the feeding miracles speak about this reality. So God for us. So what is the new beginning for us? How can we respond in faith to this story? What is it saying to us that God is more than enough for you and for me? There's a hymn writer, her name was Kitty Suffield, and she wrote the hymn, Little is Much When God is in It. Kitty was from New York City, 1920s, 30s, and... She was an excellent singer and an excellent pianist, and she wanted to become, indeed, a concert pianist. But she ends up meeting a chap from the Ottawa area, and they get married. And they end up actually going into ministry, and they become traveling evangelists. And actually, she became a major influence on George Beverly Shea, who was the great singer for the Billy Graham Crusade. She met him and encouraged him in his singing. But she wrote this hymn, Little is Much When God is in It. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can wear it if you go in Jesus' name. It's a lovely song. Little is much when God is in it. And so for you in your life right now, you may be feeling that just a little bit, but little can become much. Whatever that is for you, little is much when God is in it.
So let's labor for him. Let's say yes for him. Let's carry on in new beginnings for him, even though they may be smaller than one day we had thought. Little is much when God is in it. May that be our response. May we carry on new beginnings in faith and trust and confidence in God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.